Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Demiron, and thank you to the Benders. We are going to miss you. As you have heard, this is a, a tremendous day, the day in which Metro-North will be officially sent out as a team to do the very grueling but very important work of planting a church. I can imagine the sort of feelings that you all are having right now, probably very excited, also probably very overwhelmed. There is a a risk that comes with this. We we don't know always what the future is going to hold, but Metro-North, just by way of encouragement, just Look around this room right now, see all these people, and just remember that this church, Redeemer, is less than 10 years old. So in less than a decade, God has done all of this. And so may God do something very similar in the city of Sterling Heights. In the weekly grind of sowing and planting, trust that in time God is at work. There's a phrase that has been immensely helpful to me over the years. I don't remember who I heard it from. I just know I didn't come up with it. I think it was maybe Alistair Begg, but I'm not 100% sure. But whoever this person is said that most people overestimate what they can do in one year, and they underestimate what God can do in five. That's been our story here in Detroit. We've never had a breakout revival week where just people are knocking down the doors, but God has slowly been doing something. And so we are very excited for what God is going to do in Sterling Heights. A very exciting moment, and yet, if we are honest, there is a little bit of sadness that comes with today as well, because some of our very best Redeemer members are going to be officially sent out. Fred and Linda Galman. Fred is an inaugural deacon at this church. Together as a couple, Fred and Linda are the consummate servants of the church. Kim and Cheryl Smith, we're here from the get-go, faithfully serve the poor. I remember Kim so often serving at Mariners during the week, playing cards with the guys. I remember hearing very fondly Kelly Overby's testimony when she joined this church and many people being brought to tear of what God had brought her out of. David and Tiffany Bender, who you just heard play music. Tiffany was on staff at this church. She was our children's director. David was baptized as an adult. Their girls were baptized as babies. And so 75% of the Bender baptisms have been at this church. So these are people that we really like, 
that we are sending out. These are good, helpful, advance the cause of the church, encouraging to be around kinds of people. You know, in, in sports, there, there are times when two teams are trading, and to get the good player, you also need to take on the contract of a bad player. It's just a, it's a junk contract. Nobody wants this person. They're paying him way too much. So you agree to take one good person if you'll take on the bad person. Th- that's not what's happening here this morning. There, there's no, you know, I didn't cut some deals with, with Steve behind uh, the scenes. Like, please, will you take some of these? No, th- these are the best that we have that are being sent out. And so it does feel like a loss. Some of our good friends are leaving. And as other churches are planted around Metro Detroit, and as we think through the immense gospel needs around the world, there are going to likely be more goodbyes. Being faithful to the Great Commission will often mean saying goodbye to lots of really good people. John G. Patton was a Scottish missionary that served in the New Hebrides Islands. This is in the late 1800s. This was a very difficult call to receive as a pastor because the islands were full of cannibals. And so previous missionary attempts to land in the New Hebrides always ended up with the moment the boat got to shore, the cannibals would kill the missionaries and eat them. And so this is a very difficult call that John G. Patton received. John's hero in life was his faithful dad. John G. Patton's father was a very humble Christian man. He was kind, yet firm, strong in the Lord, humble in life. He was deeply committed to his family. And the way that his father showed his commitment to his family is that he prayed for them, just around the clock for the wife and kids. This was John G. Patton's absolute hero in life. So to leave Scotland for the New Hebrides Islands was likely saying goodbye to his dad forever. There's no, there's no airplanes, there's no quick routes from the South Pacific to Scotland. When John G. Patton left to plant a church amongst the hardest of all the peoples, he was likely saying goodbye to his favorite person in life, saying goodbye to his father. This is how John G. Patton describes that last moment they had together in his autobiography. He writes, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And the tears on my cheeks are as freely now as then, whenever my memory steals me away to that scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carried his hat in his hand, his long flowing hair streamed like a little girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving on in silent prayer for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks, for in which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He took my hand firmly for a minute in silence. And then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say any more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and we parted. If being committed to gospel ministry, and I mean 
really committed to gospel ministry, the, the kind of commitment that says, God, I'm all in. I'm not, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm all in. I am yours to be used how you pleased. If that kind of gospel commitment means that we need to say goodbye to many people that we hold closest to our heart, the question for this morning is this, is it, is it really worth it? Is it really worth sending off our best people? Would it not just be a lot easier, a lot more pleasant if we could just stay together, hunker down, wait out our lives until the resurrection, never have to say goodbye to anybody? Would that not be easier? Now, I don't want to over-exaggerate. I recognize Sterling Heights is only 30 minutes of 75, and I have not heard any reports yet from Steve about the cannibals and his front yard. So I'm not trying to over-exaggerate what is happening this morning. We're going to do partnerships in the future. Hopefully our churches can come together for special services and joint ministry ventures. And so we're not saying goodbye forever, but I'm going to use this morning to illustrate a larger principle, that all we have in front of us is eternal gain. Everything in front of us is for our good. Everything in front of us is eternal gain. We are headed to a land where there is only going to be hellos and never a goodbye. All of that is in front of us. Therefore, in this very small moment of time in which we live, we are to give ourselves to living out the fullest design of life that God has given to us. To live a life like Jesus. And what is the life of Jesus? To give yourself to fruitful labor. So let's set the stage here this morning. We are taking a one-week break from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That is what we are typically working through. And for this special Sunday, we are jumping over to a different letter from Paul, which is his letter to the Philippians. In this letter, the apostle Paul is in jail. Considering that this is a very hostile culture to the gospel, it is very natural for Paul to wonder in jail what is going to happen to him. Is he going to live or is he going to be put to death? If you look at me at verse 23, there are some critical scholars that say, well, Paul is having dark suicidal thoughts here about wanting to die. But if you actually just read the letter to the Philippians, you realize that is clearly not the case. Paul's letter to the Philippians actually has the word joy in it more than any of his other letters. This is, in fact, Paul's happiest, most carefree, joyful letter. So there is no depression here. There is no thoughts of suicide. This is a very spiritually healthy man in jail, perhaps on the brink of death, thinking through what comes next. And instead of despair, what makes this letter so different is that Paul is absolutely convinced of the joy of the resurrection. That because Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected, that Jesus ascended, because Paul is united to Christ by faith, that is his destiny too. That Paul is united to the Christ who is going to live forever. And so, well, yes, death is, of course, sad, and death is a very real enemy. We cry, but if we have Paul's mindset, we cry, but never without ultimate hope. 
because beyond death is life eternal. That death is actually our gain. Verse 21, one of the best verses in all the, the Bible. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That death is our gain. But for this morning, notice the first half of the verse. To live is Christ. If the time of Paul's death is not now, then there is a second option in life, which is to live is Christ, a life like Christ, living like Jesus. And what Paul means by to live is Christ, Paul does not simply mean that Jesus was a living man, that that, that Jesus had lungs and Jesus had a brain and Jesus ate meals and Jesus interacted with people, that, that Jesus was alive. Therefore, if Paul can get out of jail, then Paul will be alive and he'll be like Jesus because both are living men. No, no the definition for what to live is Christ is much more specific than simply being biologically alive. There's a more narrow definition. Look with me at the connection between verses 21 and 22. To live is Christ, and so we're asking, what is living? Paul goes on to say that fruitful labor is what describes how to live. And then the next line, what is this labor? Paul says, ministry. So put this together. What what does this mean? To live as Christ means doing fruitful ministry. You see, Jesus Christ was the fullest and truest human to ever live. You know, a a number of people in our our culture, they they go to their psychologist, they go to the therapist, and they they might ask, you know, how can I have a full life? Or how can I be true to myself? Or how can I be self-actualized or self-realized? I want to live out my true design. It's, it's, It's a good question, but the problem is that the therapist give an answer that never take into account the fall. That because we have a fallen nature, we aren't able to fully live out how God has made us to be. But Jesus Christ did not fall. He is the truest and fullest human to ever live. Theologians describe the nature of Jesus as being impeccable, the impeccability of Christ. This means that Jesus did not just act on sinful impulses, but he couldn't act on sinful impulses because his nature was free from the corruption of the fall. Therefore, if we look at Jesus as the definition for what is the truest and fullest life that one can ever live, you get the perfect picture. Jesus was the most full and real human to ever live because he was free from the fall. And what do we see in the life of Jesus? This fullest life that all people are striving to reach. What do we see in Jesus? We see in Jesus primarily that Jesus lived at all times and all ways to promote the glory of God in all things. And how does Jesus live to promote the glory of God in all things? He does so by ministering to other people. You see, the life of Jesus to live as Christ is ministry to others. That's what life is. You are made to get outside of your own heads and begin to bless other people. 
Think of Aristotle's great philosophical question, what is the good life? For Aristotle, the great life, the good life was found in being a virtuous person, living with consistency and integrity. In our culture today, we might describe the good life as success, ease, comfort, health, mental peace. We see Jesus actually gives us a picture of what the good life is. He gives us the perfect pattern. What is the good life? According to Paul here in Philippians, the good life is to be committed to ministering to others. Fruitful labor, to live is Christ. Christ gave himself sacrificially for the sake of other people. Therefore, if you really want to come alive in life, start ministering to other people. So here you have the Apostle, J- Apostle Paul. He's in jail. His circumstance on the outside looks, looks very bleak. But what we see is, is, is Paul is not despondent, but rather he's joyful. Because all he sees is God's goodness in front of him. There's only two possible outcomes in Paul's mind here. And both of these outcomes, he'd say, are really good. The one outcome is, is that he's put to death. Praise God, I'm put to death. I can be done with all this sin, all this corruption in the world. I can be resurrected. I can live with Jesus forever. Paul says, praise God. I would love that option. Eternal bliss. But the second outcome is a chance to live, to live like Jesus. So he, he, here's Paul. He's in his jail cell thinking, if, if, if I get out of here, if, if, if I get to live, that means I get to keep preaching and I get to keep doing discipleship and I can help plant more churches and I can be a missionary and I can bring Jesus to people that have never heard of him. I, I can die and go be with Jesus forever. That is better. But this second option, that's really good too. I love to minister like Jesus. I love promoting the glory of God in all things. And I love seeing the gospel take root in other people's hearts. He's really alive. He's living. That is the good life. You see, in Paul's mindset, it's always win-win. Most of us live as though it is lose-lose. My, my, my circumstances are terrible. God, what are you doing? You don't give me what I want. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here. I have no blessings. And eventually, I'm just going to die anyways. So we're, we're very down. We're very despondent because everything is lose-lose. But Paul is so God-centered that he sees life as win-win. It's all win for him. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that we belong to Jesus Christ in life and in death. Therefore, we can have comfort. To live, that's great. To die, that's great. Because in Paul's understanding, God is so sovereign that he's going to rejoice in all circumstances. Verse 23, Paul is hard-pressed, not because he has two bad options. Paul is hard-pressed because he sees two great options, not lose-lose, but win-win. Might we, by God's grace, begin to understand our lives like Paul did? 
that we would begin to see God as so sovereign and so in control. God who is, is so big and so powerful that he is orchestrating every event in the history of the universe for our eternal good. Might we see God so committed to the work of the church, God so committed to getting his name renowned across the entire world? Why we begin to understand that God is deeply committed to his covenantal love to his people so that he is never punishing, maybe disciplining, but never punishing his people because he loves them. He's working out salvation in us. Might we begin to see, like Paul, that God is that big and that good that we would see our entire lives as gain. If you belong to Jesus, it is never a losing proposition. It is always a winning one. And so what this means for today is what feels as lost now ultimately is not. All these goodbyes are not forever, but just momentary blips. We say goodbye today for the sake of eternal hellos. And here's the beauty of this. On that great day when death is gain on the other side of heaven when we all meet again, it will be all the more sweeter as more people are invited to that party. The more to the party, the better. It's 15 years after John G. Patton landed on the New Hebrides Islands and he began his ministry amongst people that wanted to kill and eat him. This is what John G. Patton was able to write again in his autobiography. He wrote, I claimed Aniwa for Jesus. Aniwa was the name of the, the island. I claimed Aniwa for Jesus. And by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. See, that entire island had been won to Christ. John G. Patton lived a very difficult life. He had to spend nights living up on top of trees because people were out to kill him. He did the hard work. He learned the language, and he began to preach. In time, islanders converted. A church was planted. An orphanage was established. Most remarkably, in a decade and a half, John G. Patton was able to raise up men from this village, former cannibals that would go to other villages to begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. John G. Patton, he lived the full life. He lived as Christ. He lived to preach and to pray and to minister and to sacrifice for others. That's what Patton did. With all his heart, he lived as Christ. What was John G. Patton's great reward? Remember that scene 15 years earlier. John G. Patton had to say goodbye to the people that he loved most in life. He had to say goodbye to his beloved dad. He was two grown men, just tears coming down the cheeks as John G. Patton left his hometown. And then imagine now, on that great day when death is gained in the presence of Jesus Christ himself, Jesus in full resurrected glory, the reunion of John G. Patton and his son in the presence of Jesus. 
And then imagine with me, as father and son are reunited in that great land of bliss, John G. Patton will then turn and say, Dad, I want you to meet my brothers and sisters from the New Hebride Islands. And John G. Patton will turn and we'll see the former cannibals that have been won to Christ through his son. And in that moment, all that once felt as loss will be eternal gain. You see, that's why Christians go. That's why Christians say goodbye. We say goodbye now to those that we love so deeply so that other people might be brought in. We live like Christ now for the sake of eternal gain, both for us and for others. That's why John G. Patton left Scotland. That's why the Van Ort family left Washington. And that's why it is, yes, sad, but it is our privilege to send out some of our very best members here this morning. Because on that great day of being reunited, there will, by God's grace, be new brothers and sisters invited to the eternal party, invited to the great wedding feast that will come from Sterling Heights. We live like Christ now for the sake of great gain to come. Now, now, of course, the application for this morning is that we are sending out a church planting team. A commission, in a sense, is, is being sent out to plant Metro North. So th that is, of course, the immediate application for us this morning. But this principle is certainly much deeper than just this morning because most people here this morning are not moving to Sterling Heights. Most people are going to stay in Detroit. Hopefully in the not too far future, Metro North, you will be what we describe a particularized church. No longer a church plant, but you'll be able to, to govern and lead yourself. And as soon as that happens, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Oh, I lived like Christ for five years. Ah, oh, now I can finally live for myself. No, we're always called to live as Christ. This principle is so much deeper than just the launching of a church plant. And whatever stage of life, whatever sphere of society that you find yourself, give yourself to this fullest life possible. If you want to live within the truest reality of what God has made you to be, give yourself to ministering to others. This isn't necessarily a call for more vocational ministers. Although it might be, Jesus does say that the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. And so if you have in your heart the desire to be a pastor, don't put that flame down. Talk to me after the service. We pray for more people to be raised up. But this is not an invitation just for vocational ministers. It's an invitation for all of God's people to finally come alive, to really begin living for the first time, to have the kind of life that's meaningful, the kind of life that counts. Think of so many people that just drift through life aimless. They have no purpose. They have no direction. You, you, you really want to come alive? You don't need to go to the therapist. Just listen to Jesus. Paul is giving us the definition right now. You really want to come alive? You really want to live? You really want to not be sleepy? You want to be awake and sense and feel and do all that God has designed for you to do? Then be like Jesus and give your life for the sake of other people. 
in all stages of life, in all spheres of society. You're a middle schooler. Give your life to blessing your fellow classmate on the playground. If you're a college student, use your degree. Work really hard at your education so that you might get your degree to use it for the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. If you're a mom and you have no margins, give yourself sacrificially to the changing of the diapers and staying up late with the kids. Sacrifice for the sake of your children. As a professional, downtown, sacrifice, work with integrity, give money away. Start institutions sacrificially that are going to bless the church for decades to come. As a church member, commit to ministering both inside and outside this body. Tithe, care for the poor, do evangelism, make the meal for the mom, care for the widow, live as Christ. Do not be the kind of person that is alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. This is an invitation to really start living. Discern how God made you, your, your, your gifts, your abilities, your stage of life. And then however God has made you, start using that to bless the church and to bless other people. One of the knocks on Christians that come out of the Reformed tradition, which we are a part of, is that we're very good at dotting our doctrinal I's and crossing our theological T's, but we aren't actually very good at doing the grit of gospel ministry. It's a knock on us. I think it's, I think it's a fair criticism. I think it's often true. And, and make no mistake, I, I am a pastor in our denomination. I, I love dotting the I's and crossing the T's of theology. I actually review theological exams for our presbytery. Just Again, just so we're clear, I, I want you to, you to be the best theological thinkers in the city. I want you to be able to unpack all five points of Calvinism. I want you to outline the Bible covenantally. I want you to read really big books that are really complicated, written by guys 300 years ago. I, I want all of that. Great theology, great truth. And then, once we get all that truth in our heads, may God pump it down into our hearts so that we put some teeth to it and we begin to finally start doing gritty, sacrificial gospel ministry here in the city, out in Sterling Heights, and all the way to the very ends of the earth. Sunday morning, we, we, we come together in this very theological moment where we meet with God the King. God is speaking His Word to us. We hear it in the Word. We see it at the table. We meet with the King. We're filled in such a deep, profound way that we go into the world for the sake of God's glory and the good of our neighbor, to plant more churches, to move into the hardest parts of the city, the parts of the city that nobody else goes to, but with God's backing, we go there. To love the neighbor across the street that is difficult and costly. To speak up for truth in the public sphere. I think we all know this in the coming days, the culture is not going to give us any freebies. So with a sense of gospel grit, let's start living as Christ. Think of an old movie, it's black and white. It's taking place in a casino. You have these Italian men, likely part of the mob. The, 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 the lights are down. They're, they're playing poker. They're around the circle table. They get that one hanging light in the middle. These men have big cigars. It's very smoky. They're playing poker. And the main character, 
He looks down at his cards, and he sees that he has a flush. He's going to win. He's confident in the cards. He knows he is going to win. So what does he do? He calmly pushes all the chips to the center of the table. He's all in. If the two options for your life are to live, which means doing faithful ministry, or death as your eternal gain, then you will push your chips to the center of God's table and say, God, I'm all in. I'm willing to say goodbye now. I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I'm willing to do the hard thing because, God, I trust you. I am all in. The main problem in the church today is not liberalism or bad theology. The main problem with the church today is most people do not have that kind of confidence in God. They're not, they're not pushing the chips all to the center. They, they might toss in a chip or two, but they keep most back, most hold back out of fear and keep the majority of the chips close to the chest. Metro North, Redeemer, Grace, which is going to soon be the plant that was launched in West Dearborn, push the chips to the center of the table. Be willing to say goodbye to the people you love. Yes, pushing the chips to the center of the table, it is going to make your life harder. Look at the life of Jesus. There was nothing easy about his life. Pushing the chips to the center, being all in, is going to make your life harder. You are going to be constantly opening your home. You are going to be spending more money. You're oftentimes going to be more rejected, more anxious, more uncomfortable. Yes, pushing the chips to the center of the table is costly. But just remember this, the cost is only momentary. And the cost itself is not actually a burden. But in the biggest sense, the, the, the cost of caring for other people is an invitation from God himself to actually bless you as Christ. So Paul understood life in two ways. To live as Christ, fruitful ministry. Option number two, death which is gain. The problem with us is that we see the third option. Of not thinking like Paul, of tapping out, of just drifting in life, of not being in tune with what God has made us to be. May that not be true of anyone here this morning. So we are saying goodbye this morning to people that we so deeply love because we want a chance to really live. We say goodbye now, but we also look forward to that great day, that great day of our gain when there'll be no more goodbyes, but only hellos. And by God's grace, we look forward to meeting those that'll be there from Sterling Heights. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, there's so much about Paul that just feels otherworldly, so different from us. We, we're, we're, we're so quick to doubt. We're so quick to, to not take you at your word. And I do pray that you would strengthen all of our confidence in you so that we might begin to see the world as Paul saw it, as two great options, ministry or death, where that has weakened us, Assure us and remind us that your grace is sufficient even to cover our doubts. In Jesus' name, amen.